Our loving Father, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to meet as Christians, be able to seek you and to understand a little bit more what our principles we can abide our lives by. We thank you that you've not left us in the darkness, but there is so much out there that we can learn from. That you have said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you shall go. I will guide you with my eyes. And Lord, we claim that promise for us personally. And if we have families, for our own families, that we may be ready, O oh Lord, when you come and not be found wanting. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, so the description, I just want to read that to you that I was asked to share about was how to have the issue of family and end time perspective. Should Adventists get married? Is it unadvisable to have children? These are questions Adventist young people continue to ask as they recognize the nearness of Jesus' second advent and anticipate troublous times ahead. This session seeks to answer these important questions through an exploration of biblical and spirit of prophecy councils on the topic of marriage and families in the last days. Who believes that Jesus is coming soon? Amen? Who believes that Jesus is coming very soon? Who believes that Jesus is coming very, 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 very soon? Like, like, very soon. Why are hands going? Who really believe that He's really coming soon? The signs really foretell, like, like it's really, really, really soon. Okay. How soon? <laughs> How soon do you think Christ is coming back? Like tomorrow? Would He come back tomorrow? No. There's certain things that need to happen first. How about next year? Could he actually come back next year? Could. So are we waiting for the gospel to be spread to all the world? Or are we ready, waiting for God's people to be ready? Did you know that Christ is waiting for us to be ready? Because once we are ready, the Holy Spirit can come in our lives. And it can be a matter of months, maybe even weeks. There's no limit to the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, within just a few years, it's amazing how the gospel spread in, from the Acts of the Apostle all around the world. And we are told that the power that will fall will be even greater in these last days. So sometimes we are thinking, well, this needs to happen, this needs to happen, this needs to happen. Um, I have plenty of time before Christ comes. That may not necessarily be the case. So before I begin some of the principles, the first thing I want to encourage all of you if you have not done so, do it. And if you have done so, do it again. Is to read a book called Adventist Home. Amen? Amen? And now you have no excuse because you can't say I don't have it because if you have a phone that has a smart thing on it or smartphone, if you have an iPad or a tablet, if you have a computer, you can actually read that book online, right? Of course, it's preferable, I believe, to get a hard copy that you can underline and so forth. But Adventist Home, I believe every single young person needs to read that book. Even my, my wife and I, every other, pretty much every other evening, our worship is focused on family and on relationship. So what we do is, depending on what we're going to read, uh, we're going to read on things on, on couples for us, how to improve, and also how to raise our children. And that will be the specific focus. Why? Because nobody is born knowing how to be a good husband or a good wife. You know, it's not something that's instinct. I mean, you can love somebody, but these principles, we are so selfish-oriented that, 
And we are prone to do exactly what our parents are doing, that unless we educate ourselves by the power of the Holy Spirit to change, it won't happen. And so my wife and I will pick up Adventist Home, and we've read it before, but it's interesting as when I read it, I feel as if I've never read this stuff before. And I, this is like the third or fourth time I read it. So that's why we keep reading it, praying that God will help us to incorporate these principles in our lives. Okay, so the first thing that is important to you, I believe that all of us need to do, is read Adventist Home before any thought of relationship. If you're in a relationship, read Adventist Home. If you're married read with no children, read Adventist Home. If you're married with children, read Adventist Home. Just read Adventist Home. Amen? You get the message? <laughs> Just read the book. And I'm shocked when people are married or getting married and they've never read that book. I'm like, what? I mean, and I'm even more shocked that they don't read anything. It's like, well, like, oh, no, we just get married. We love each other. Everything's fine. Oh, we just have kids. I have a friend. This guy doesn't think he needs to read anything about kids. And I'm thinking, what? I mean, the character of the children is like the most important trust. You read how you need to fix your car, but you won't read on how to raise your kid. It's like, whoa. I mean, it just blows me completely away. So uh, some of the prints, I, I won't have time to, 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 to share a lot of principles, but I do believe that if you read that book, God will help you as he's been slowly helping myself and my wife to catch some of these principles uh, in our lives. So Jesus coming back soon. Should I even think about marriage if I am married or children if I am? No, marriage if I'm not married, children if I don't have children yet. Uh, I want you to think about our pioneers. So we had Ellen White, James White, these different people. Did they believe that Christ was coming soon? Did they get married too? Yeah, many of them did. And then I want you to notice something. So it's 1844, great disappointment, 1845, 46, and then 47, 48. And then Ellen White, these people, they still believe that Christ is coming soon because we know that there is no more time prophecy after 1844, but now it's like Christ can come back any time after 1844. So it's 1846, 1847, 1848, 1849. And so now we're saying, man, Christ can come back anytime. But yet they still get married. Did Ellen White have kids? Yes. And they still get kids. I mean, what's wrong with that? Is it like, I thought this was... And then we are told in 1888... We are told that's one of the times Ellen White tells us that Christ could have come back if we had been ready, right? So now, past 1888, it's even a greater confirmation from God to say, hey, I could have come back like two years ago. That means I want to come back like very, very soon. But yet after 1888, she still publishes all these counsels about children, about family, about marriage, about relationships. Don't you think that's a little puzzling? Shouldn't you say, well, Ellen White, don't you think that, you know, Jesus is coming soon and Jesus could have come last year and, and, and two years ago and, and that means that he could come anytime now. Shouldn't we be forgetting about counsels, about marriage and family? Shouldn't we just be focusing on, on saving souls for God's kingdom? Why should you write counsel on marriage and family? You know, there's a quote that's very interesting. It's found in Adventist Home, page 36. It says, A well-ordered Christian household is a powerful argument 
in favor of the reality of the Christian religion, an argument that the infidel cannot gainsay. You know, there is an amazing power in a godly family. I mean, they can argue your theology, your philosophy, and whatever, but if you have a Christ-like family that we all strive to have by God's grace, it's a power that even an atheist cannot fight against. There is an amazing power to a godly family. And that's why I believe, that's one of the reasons Ellen White kept writing. Because, yeah, Christ could come back, but in the meanwhile, occupy till I come, people will still get married, people will still have kids, and therefore, we need to instruct them to have powerful Christ-like families because that's one of the most powerful arguments in favor of Christianity. It says, all can see that there's a influence at work in the family that affects the children and that the God of Abraham is with them. If the homes of professed Christians had a right religious mold, they would exert a mighty influence for good. They would indeed be the light of the world. Coupled with that statement, I want to read one more statement which I believe applies to all of us and especially those maybe that have more leadership roles in God's church. Here she says in Gospel Worker 235, If he is walking in the counsel of God, the president of the general conference will not encourage his brethren in looking to him to define their duty, but will direct them to the only source that is untainted with errors of humanity. He will refuse to be mind and conscience for others. So sometimes people will say, well, Jonathan, should we get married? Should we not get married? And so forth. Sometimes people would ask Ellen White these kind of questions, and she would respond exactly the same way. She says, I refuse to be a mind for you and to be a conscience for you. God has given you a conscience yourself. You are to go to the source yourself to determine. Because for you, it might be good to get married, and for you, it might not. You know, God is the one that's able to tell us. Sometimes we want to say, no, no, I want to be able to have, uh, you know, and, 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 and just to be able to just tell me what I need to do. That's a Catholic mindset. A Catholic mindset is go to the priest and give the priest a responsibility. That's why it's his fault. But guess what? In the last days when fire is falling all around us and these same people will go and start to beat up their priest. <laughs> and, you know, it's their fault. It's not their fault. I don't know. Let's not do the same within God's church. God has given us the ability to think for ourselves and to go to the source. So I don't believe any one of us in leadership roles can be able to be mine or conscience for anybody else. However, in, 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 in matters to whether I should marry or have children, I believe there are principles uh, that we should follow should we feel that this is the path that God has outlined for us. The first thing I want to start with is a Bible verse. You know it by heart, but it's good to read it again. It's in Matthew chapter 6, and I think it's a good place to start in regards to, uh, to marriage or even uh, uh, relationship to have children in these last days. Matthew 6, verse 25, it says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for life, for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on, is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. Then he goes on to talk about the, the birds of the air and the lily of the field. And then he says, look, this is what you need to take thought of. It's in verse 33. But seek ye first the what? Kingdom. Kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Christ gives us, I guess, a rule of life. And I'm going to share a little bit about my own experience. And I want you guys to know that my own experience is not the, 
it's not the model, it's not the, the standard, I think is a better term, okay? I believe that God leads us all in different ways. However, I do believe that the way that God has led me, there are some principles maybe that can be of value to you, okay? So, starting with this concept, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. Speaking about that in the book Acts of the Apostle, actually it's Review and Herald, April 30, 1908, it also is found there. Speaking about the, the, the early Christian church after the day of Pentecost, it says one interest prevailed in their lives. It's talking about one subject of emulation swallowed up all others, meaning their only focus when they, the Holy Spirit fell upon them was wrapped up in this thing. The only ambition of the believers was to reveal the likeness of Christ's character and to labor for the enlargement of His kingdom. Meaning, that seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, this, when the Holy Spirit fell in, in great power, that was what their whole mindset was about. And I believe that for the Holy Spirit to fall upon us in latter rain power, we need to already be doing the work that we will be doing with greater power when the Spirit falls on us. You understand what I mean? So the focus we need to have when the Spirit falls on us, I believe needs to be the same focus we have before we receive latter rain power. And I believe it should be the same thing as the early rain. Our focus should be the righteousness of Christ and the enlargement of His kingdom. To be Christ-like in our character and to be able to labor to enlarge the kingdom of God, bring more people to a knowledge of the Jesus Christ. Now, what does that have to do with relationship? I believe any relationship you are even thinking of entering into, or even any children, if you want children, I believe this needs to be the mindset to fulfill these two criteria. You know, I remember when my child, my, my boy was... was um, was uh, two, I guess, one or two, two I think it was, maybe one. And, um, and even before, you know, my wife and I, we were married for actually four years before our first child came. And I kept praying, I said, God, please don't give me children if my children will not honor and glorify you. Because in my mind, there's enough people that are hurting Christ and, 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 you know, it's, for me, I don't want to be responsible for bringing into the world another pain, you know, in Christ's heart. Of course, my child is not perfect. My child will sin. But I'm saying, Lord, if in the end my child will be lost, I'd rather, you know, not have children. Not for my sake, but the father is already going through so much pain because of so many people that are rebelling against him. I don't want to be responsible for providing one more child to do that. And, when I, and, and I remember when my child was around um, one, and even my daughter, when she was around one, I wrote a letter. And I, I, I wrote a three, four-page letter, I, and I sealed it. I haven't opened it yet. And it's only to be opened when they're 14 or 16 or whenever, you know. I don't know what's going to happen to me. Tomorrow I could die, you know. But I basically poured myself out in the letter and um, saying, you know, even if when you read this letter, I have turned away from God for whatever reason, I want you to remain faithful to God. And, um, and I shared with them how I consecrated them to God. And I, you know, in the letter I tell them how, um, you know, it is true that 
they did not have a choice to be born, nor even a choice to be committed or consecrated to God. You know, I'm the one that went ahead and did that for them. But then I outline about the goodness and the graciousness of God towards them. And, you know, I'm praying if I ever am to die, I've given a copy to my, 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 my wife and I, if we are to die, given to my um, sister-in-law. Uh, so that she has a copy that she can give them at the appropriate time. I know this is somber, sober, but <laughs> sometimes we think, oh, you know, you know, <laughs> that because we love God that we'll live forever. Not so, you know, this world, you can die anytime, you know, just be faithful to God. And, um, or, I know teenage years are difficult years, and I believe, I hope that maybe if they get to the point that they're very rebellious, God forbid, but if something happens that way and hits 16 or 17 and they don't want to follow God and God forbid, you know, I'm hoping that this letter written 16 years in advance can be able to have an impact on their lives. So uh, why do I share some of that with you? I share it with you to allow you to know that when it comes to children, I believe that we don't have kids just to have kids. Any fool can have kids. You don't even need to be married to have kids, right? But I believe that we are called to have children to bring honor and glory to God. That's why even the way that I, I train my children or I'm trying to train my children is to bring honor and to bring glory to God, right? But moving a step back from children to relationships now, right? Relationship, I believe uh, we need to fulfill these two criterias. The first one is can I reveal Christ's righteousness by pursuing this relationship or this union, whether I am in it or I want to get into a relationship? Uh, and, and Christ's righteousness, you know, there's many aspects to it. One of it is uh, the obvious, what you do in that relationship. If you are sexually prom pros promiscuous in that relationship, it probably uh, you probably should not pursue that because... If you are to seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness, it's not, I seek first His kingdom and His righteousness here, but then in my relationship, it's a different story. No, no, no. You have to be able to fulfill your mandate wherever you are and whatever you do, right? Because the Spirit of God in you will cause you to be righteous and to enlarge your kingdom of God. So if you get into a relationship, you have to start thinking, with this individual that I'm hoping to get together with or am together with now and I plan on spending my life with this person, uh, are we a am I able to have the freedom to continue to uh, reveal the righteousness of Christ? That's not only sexual promiscuity, but also control. That's another, and there's other facts that I won't get into today, but one of them, for example, is control. Some individuals will not and it's not just men. Women are like that too sometimes. Will not allow you to be, to have your own personality. You know, uh, we are told that we should all have the character of Christ. But we all have different personalities. God has made us that way. Nobody should have to mesh their personality into somebody else. God doesn't ask us to do that. God doesn't ask somebody else to be conscience for you. If your partner is starting to be your conscience, then you need to start you know, sorting through issues and, and, and talking things out, okay? So, uh, anyways, another point I believe that we need to think about, can I reveal Christ's righteousness, is another obvious one is being unequally 
yoked. Uh, some people believe, well, you know, the person Adventist, and therefore um, it's okay. We can, uh, I can reveal Christ's righteousness by this union. And that's not the case because there are many Seventh-day Adventists that are not converted. So we're not talking about whether you're Adventist. First of all, Adventist for sure. Amen? Had two amen, but <laughs> so, uh, and you know, I've had friends. Some of them that've been married for ten, some of them fifteen years. I we've been married eleven, almost eleven years now, and you know we're starting to see a lot of divorces. And um, of people that were both Adventist, but maybe not surrendered to God, you know, and as a result. It's, it's sometimes it's a matter of time. And, and then usually what the devil will do is the devil will tell you, but wait a second, the devil will point out to that one family that they love each other, they work together, and says, well, you see, it worked for that family. But, you know, it's kind of like a smoking thing where you have a grandma that smokes till she's 102, and you say, you see, she smoked till 102. Well, the reason you know about it is because it's so few and far and rare and far in between. The reality, if it be told, you'd have to visit thousands and thousands of hospital beds of people that are dying with lung cancer for that one lady that's 102 that's smoking. It's the same thing with marriages that are unequally yoked. You can say, hey, it worked for these people, or it's still working for that couple. He's not Adventist. He's, he's not even a Christian, but he loves his wife. He treats her really well, and it works for them. Then I know it can work for us. Guess what? For that one there are literally hundreds and thousands of marriages that have been wrecked. And not only that, there are a lot of marriages that are still together, but it's misery. There's pain, and especially when children come, the concept of how do you raise your children, the values that you treat, you're trying to inculcate to your children is truly messed up. So um, I want to read this in Adventist Home, page 94-95. It says, only where Christ reigns can there be deep, true unselfish love you know if you want to love your partner or if you want even your partner to love you it's only when christ reigns in the heart then soul will be knit with soul and the two lives will blend in harmony angels of god will be guests in the home and their holy vigils will hollow the marriage chamber debasing sensuality will be banished upward to god will be thoughts will the thoughts be directed to him will the heart's devotion ascend in every family where Christ abides, a tender interest and love will be manifested for one another. Not a spasmodic love expressed only in fond caresses, but a love that is deep and abiding. And then another place she says, Marriage, a union for life, is a symbol of the union between Christ and His church. The spirit that Christ manifests towards His church is the spirit that the husband and wife are to manifest toward each other. If they love God supremely, they will love each other in the Lord ever treating each other courteously, drawing in even cords. In their mutual self-denial and self-sacrifice, they will be a blessing to each other. Both of you need to be converted. She's writing to a couple. Neither of you have a proper idea of the meaning of obedience to God. Study the words, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. I sincerely hope that you will both become true children of God, servants to whom He can entrust responsibilities. Then... Peace and confidence and faith will come to you. Yes, you may both be happy, consistent Christians. Cultivate keenness of perfection, 
perception that you may know how to choose the good and refuse the evil. And then she goes on to, to mention how they can be happy throughout uh, their marriage. Another thing I believe that falls under the category of reveal the righteousness of Christ. Can this union or this, by pursuing this union or relationship, can I reveal the righteousness of Christ? I think you need to look at the habits. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Uh, it's still under Adventist Home 9495. Yeah. Uh, and it goes on. I, I don't want to read everything, but just go and read the whole chapter. It's actually, that's where you'll get the whole uh, concept. And, and Adventist Home is amazing. She'll talk about things like uh, marriages you should never get into, or even before you get married, you should go visit the, the parents of. And, you know, I did that. I thought that was such a blessing. Like, before I got married to my wife, I flew to Romania, and I met the family, and, uh, you know, the aunts, the uncles, grandpa, grandma, everything. You know, she has, like, my family split all over the place, but her family is all together. And, and both sets of grandparents were alive at that time. And it's just, and it's interesting because I had known her for at least, I guess, six or seven years before. We had canvas together, co her together. I mean, we worked together. So it's not like if I was a stranger to her, her strength and weaknesses and, and her I, the same to me. But... It was a good trip because whether you realize it or not, you are a product somehow a little bit of your parents. I mean, that's just uh, the reality. Some of you don't want to admit that. But the older you get, the more you realize that you do things like your parents, you know. And uh, they're, they're, some of their weaknesses are, are translated to you. And, um, and, and different cultures, because she's Romanian and I'm not I'm Canadian I'm half white half black so I'm a mix so uh, different cultures do think differently you may re- even you may both be black or both white but if you come from different cultures the thought patterns are even different um, it's not significant but in some culture it is more than others but it's important to know that so I, anyways I went out there and uh, I remember I was there three weeks and we were about to fly out the next day back back to Ontario and, um, and I was quiet, you know, I was sitting on a couch and I was just reflecting about, and, and, you know, there's so many things to think about, about your future, and, and I remember my wife came, well, she wasn't my wife, but she came and, and sat beside me, and she says, what are you thinking about, as ladies often ask, <laughs> and I remember I don't remember what I told her specifically, but I said something like, now I, I guess now I get pretty much who you are. And I was very serious. And, and, and it's true because her family's not perfect. My family is not. But I guess I saw everything. You know, I saw them. After three weeks, people started arguing. And I mean, you see everything. And then it was a lot. <laughs> and that was one time she told me afterwards she was so scared. You know, because <laughs> she thought at that point uh, that I'm not going to follow through, that this is it. You know, I, there, there's too much. But for me, <laughs> for me, that was the best thing that could happen. You know why? Because it's like, it's like that night I realized, you know, I've seen the good, I've seen the bad, I've seen the ugly. But, you know, by God's grace, this is the person I like to spend the rest of my life with. And so sometimes people ask me, well, didn't your first year, wasn't it rough and whatever? No. I mean, didn't you have big, rough fights? No, never had. I mean, it's, it's not that 
others won't. It's just that what I realize is when you're able to discover uh, not just a person's strength, but the person's weaknesses and faults and so forth, and you can still make a decision by God's grace that I want to live with that. Uh, then when you wake up after you're married, there's not, what? <laughs> if I knew that. <laughs> and we know most of us, we won't leave the person because of that, but you almost feel cheated. You almost feel like, man. <laughs> No, he left his socks all over the place. Anyways, I don't leave my socks. <laughs> so the, the, the other thing, I don't know how I digress there. I, anyways, the reason I did, it was a commercial for Adventist Home that she talks about all these things, right? And there's reasons why she says it. It's God speaking to us. So take these counsels to heart. But the third uh, point about can I reveal Christ's righteousness by pursuing this union, the first in, in regards to the, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, it's in regards to habits, Friends, none of us can read hearts. Amen? And it's kind of, I'm happy you can't. But we can see habits. And sometimes, that's why I'm not always in favor of quick marriages. Because it's important to understand what are some of the habits of the person you're interested good habits and bad um, now I want to classify um, explain all of us have weaknesses but not all of us are seeking to grow in Christ are you with me my wife and I we both have weaknesses but one thing I really praise God for I mean, there's other girls I went to school in college that was, it seems, more godly than what she was. But one thing I really praise God for is that it seems even more than me, she has that amazing desire to seek for God and to do whatever God would have us to do, you know? And for me, you can have mistakes and, and, and faults and failures, but if you both have in you a desire to follow God no matter what, I think there's no limit to what God can do for you. You can fail, you can fall, you can fall, you know, but if you can, you can get back together, you can pray, you can ask God. And, and for me, that is like the, one of the most powerful element, a willingness to change, a willingness to grow. That's why we read together, a willingness to, to follow God, no matter what He says. That, I believe, has brought more happiness in our home than anything else, okay? So, all have weaknesses. Nobody is perfect. But do you and your partner-to-be have a desire and willingness to follow God in all things? For example, you may have a partner that one of his habits, let's say, is to listen to horror movies, you know? Or even some action films that have nothing to do with God. But the truth is that, you know, that person wants you to watch all these films with you, with them. And you want to because you love them, but the reality is you know that if I keep doing that, it will sap away at my spiritual strength. You know, it will just kill me spiritually. So unless that person has a willingness to change, you know that they may be Adventists, they may even go out and do witnessing and even be preaching, but if they have certain habits that they're not willing to give up, you know it's going to kill you spiritually, then you can't unite. And you can't with good conscience say, I want to pursue this type of relationship with the knowledge that you have. Are you with me? 
The second point we talked about, so there's two criteria. One, whatever relationship, whether it's putting children in the world or relationship you want to pursue, one of them we talked about is the righteousness of Christ. Uh, to be able to put it to the litmus test of the righteousness of Christ because that is one of the first and foremost things I want to seek. The second litmus test is the enlargement of God's kingdom. And that's one I believe that in relationships we seem to think the least upon. Why? Because relationship, it's all about me and her. And just we love each other and the whole world can be like blowing up around us and we don't see a thing because we just love each other, right? So do I have an amen out there? <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it can almost be sometimes selfish in its... In its uh, and it's, um, so it's for the enlargement of his kingdom. So we talked about seek ye first the kingdom of God. And the second thing is seek ye first also his righteousness. So we talked about his righteousness. And now we're thinking about the enlargement of God's kingdom within the, the realm of relationship. Um, so the question you need to ask, will this union or relationship help or hinder in the enlargement of God's kingdom? The first thing you need to think I want to talk about is children. There are some people that I know personally that have decided not to have children because of the calling that have been placed upon their life for ministry. They made that choice. They would love to have kids, but they just sense that this is not God's call. They're very rare because most people have kids and then they wake up. No, most people wake up and then they realize they're going to have kids, right? So they, it's not like a choice that they make. But I respect that because what they begin to realize is we have a call upon our lives, and we don't believe that we can do justice in raising children and at the same time fulfilling God's call on our lives. Are you with me? Another thing is the amount of children you're going to have. You know, Denise and I, we decide two is all that we can have. Why? Because God has called me to ministry. I travel a lot. I only have two hands, one for each child, you know, and I don't have a nine-to-five job. So I'm, I'm gone all the time. I'm doing, you know, so we thought two is the most that we can have and still be able to give them the quality time they need to be able to know Christ. Some people, that number may be four. Some people, 26. They may be homeschooling up in the, in the boonies, you know what I mean? So there's no issue, you know, so... That's why I'm saying that I still believe that having children or even the amount of children should be submitted to this criteria. The second point in this criteria is relationship. So will this union, this pursuing this relationship help in the enlargement of God's kingdom? All are called to be missionaries or witnesses in our work, school, or community. The person that I'm pursuing, is that individual even interested in the enlargement of God's kingdom. Many times they are not. And if they are not, I'm telling you, please. <laughs> if they're not now, trust me, after it won't happen. Unless there's some, you know, conversion that happens. But anyways, so one point is this. If ministry is important to you, and I believe that it's important to every Christian, and it's not important to that individual, then in my mind, that's another sign that maybe you should not pursue that relationship. Another thing is, would we support each other in ministry? When I say ministry, it doesn't have to be pastoral work. It could be ministries in the church, in children's department. I mean, there's 
thousands of ways where you can get involved in ministry. Another point is this, enlargement of God's kingdom is not just about interest. It has a lot to do with money, time, and influence and how people spend it. Do you know that there's most of the divorce happen over money? Did you know that? A lot of the divorce happen over money and over children. So I think it's important for you to realize and to discuss some of these things. That money, is it bulk of our money is spent on ourselves or is the bulk of our money used to be able to enlarge God's, God's kingdom? Is the bulk of our money, <laughs> of our time used upon ourselves and going on vacations and doing this? We need vacation. We need time to rest. But what is the emphasis? And, and, and you'll discover some of that. It's important to talk about these things before relationships or before serious commitments. Why? Because once you're married, I believe marriage is for life. Amen? Amen. If the person wants to walk out on you, that's there. But you're going to be married for life. You make that commitment through thick or thin. Um, will the wife support the man as the priest of the home to raise the children to honor and feel God, fear God? Um, when the emotions of the wedding, the honeymoon, the novelty of the relationship seems to wear off, uh, what is left? These fundamentals of Christ's righteousness and the enlargement of God's kingdom, I believe, is what unites individuals in Christ more than anything else. Uh, some of you may think, well, you know, I can never see myself not loving this person. I remember when my parents uh, divorced, and I, I really struggled with, with that because just a few years before, I don't know why, but I just remember I was running into the house and, um, and one of my parents pointed to a picture of the other spouse and uh, just talked about the other spouse in an amazing way. And I guess I was, I was like, I don't know, 10 years old. And I was like, okay, sure, whatever. <laughs> but four years later, you know, there's arguments in the house or five, I don't know how many years later. Yeah, four years. And then, um, and they can't stand each other. And that was very confusing for me as a, as a teenager because in my mind it's like, wait a second, what happened? And, and, and for some reason God brought back to me that that picture when I was running in the house and I was stopped and I was specifically pointed to the picture. And I was contrasting that in my little mind with the shouting and, and, and whatever and I, I, I couldn't put it together. And, and you know, even in college, I made a decision, you know what, I'm, not, I'm, I'm never going to get married. <laughs> and the reason I didn't say is not because I didn't like ladies, you know, I thought they were beautiful. But <laughs> the reason I, 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 didn't, I said that is because what happened to me as a kid, I will never, ever want to let a kid experience what I went through, you know? And of course, I'm acting as if I experienced the worst thing in my life. I didn't. But you know, as a kid, this is something really painful, you know? Especially if you love both of your parents and they split. So uh, I, I made a, you know, almost like a vow, like Paul, you know, that I'll, I'll never get married. And... Uh, and you know why I vowed that way is because I said, I cannot guarantee that my wife will not change. And because I, I kept thinking about what happened. And I say, how, 
I mean, we can love God, we can be in ministry, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, you hear couples of one of them turns out to be gay and just leaves the wife or whatever. It's like, whoa, what happened? You know, and I can't control my wife. I can't change her. I can't keep her under lock and key. So if I can't have the guarantee, then I don't want to get married. And, um, but you know, as I studied the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, especially Adventist home, I, God was able to start teaching me certain things. And, uh, one of them is that you can have a guarantee or a safeguard in Christ. You know, it's amazing. If you as a priest of a home keep bringing your family together for worship, to pray, if you don't have a proud spirit but are humble and able to come to them and ask forgiveness when you mess up, you can actually be the house band for that home. And you can actually lead your family to Christ. It's a form of guarantee, you know. It's a day-by-day thing to lead your children. And when they kind of go astray to bring them back, to be able to be Christ-like in in different ways, uh, it's a kind of guarantee. For me, um, the way it happened is a little bit what happened. I, I don't have... Yeah, I do have a time. Genesis chapter 2, and I'll wrap up with that. Now, some of you may think this illustration is a little far stretch. So if you do, I'll respect your opinion. It's okay, you know. <laughs> we can still be friends, amen? amen. But uh, it's just an important, it, this is my experience, and uh, you can take it or leave it. But in Genesis chapter 2, this, th- this is not contextual interpretation, okay? This is just, this just uh, uh, some principle that I found was interesting. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 It says, And the Lord God took the man, which is Adam, and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and and to keep it. And then he gave him authority over all of... uh, So he gave gave man a work to do, right? And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 21 and 22, it says, And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And you know, I guess this story kind of struck me because that's the way it kind of happened with me in the relationship. Um, I felt that God was calling me to do his ministry, to do his work. And so I committed myself 100% to do it. And, um, And while I was doing what God had asked me to do, uh, God brought my wife to me, you know, and she may say she pursued me, but I believe that God, <laughs> God brought her. So what happened is many times I have seen how the man, what he does, he drops everything to be able to go after the woman. And I believe that we have, as men, we have a higher calling than a woman. A woman is, is an amazing thing. They're, they're our life partners, but we have something that's, that's above that, and it's our call from God that we must fulfill. And when I say a call, I don't necessarily mean um, a job. I, I mean a call, meaning what are, your, the, the, what are the, the gift of the Spirit that God has given you, and as a result, what are you using with those, these gifts to fulfill uh, the ministry that God has for you? So what I did when I was in college, I had read some of the Spirit of Prophecy quotes that saying, you know, college is not really the best time to, um, to have a relationship. So what I decided to do was was not to have any relationships in college. And I finished college, 
And after college, I started to, to work as a full-time literature evangelist. I, I really believe that's what God wanted me to do. And I, 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 did, I fulfilled God's call. And while I was doing what God wanted me to do, uh, God brought my wife, you know. Now, it's true that, you know, I, I'm not against you if you say, well, can I even call somebody if I, you know. <laughs> if you're pursuing as a man, I'm not saying that is wrong. But I do believe that as a man, we have a higher responsibility than seeking a woman, and that is to fulfill God's call. And once you do God's call, I believe it will determine what kind of woman you will have, and I believe as a woman, you can respect a man much more that seeks to honor God above just running after you. I want to end with these uh, four principles that I believe that has helped me a lot in my life and I have, has helped a lot of other young people. I believe there are four major life decisions, and I may have shared this before, but I want to do it again. Four major life decisions. Uh, and I believe it's, all of them are, are hinging on each other. The first one is to choose Christ. That's one of the most important decisions you will ever make uh, as a human being is to choose Christ as your Lord and Savior. And, and also as your Savior and as your Lord. The second uh, major life decision is your life calling. Your life calling is de dependent on if you choose Christ or not. And I think that's very clear. If you choose Christ, you will have a different life calling than someone who doesn't choose Christ. Your interest, your desires, everything will be different. The life calling, of course, I, I hope you can see that it will depend on the person that you will marry. Um, when I was in college, there were some nice ladies that I found were very attractive and very kind and, and Christ-like. But some of them had different calls. One of them was felt they were called to go to Africa. And I didn't sense that call. I knew God was calling me to Canada to labor. So just there, I was able to refrain my feelings and said, no, I'm not going to let myself God all get attached and so forth. I have to fulfill God's call for my life as the most important thing. And the last most important decision, I believe, is to be able to bring life into the world, a child or how many children you're actually going to bring into the world uh, in the context of what we have, depending on the time you have or the ministry that you are involved in. And, you know, many people do do these things backwards. They have children first, and uh, then they have to marry the person that they just had kid with, and then they have to get a job to be able to provide for the person and the kid, and then few of them ever get to the point that they... Uh, surrender their heart to Christ. So um, I believe some of you are not married. Some of you have the opportunity to seek to do things right now. And uh, I do encourage you to, to take some of these principles. Read the book what? <laughs> and if you remember nothing I say, if you read the book, it's all in there. <laughs> yes. Do you have a few questions before we wrap up? Yes. Oh, the f choose Christ. Life, life calling, life partner, and then bringing new life into the world, meaning children, right? And I think children should be a choice. I mean, if children come, they come, you know, but I think you should decide. Uh, some people have debilitating genes, and it's, it's, you have to think, you know, the risk that you're taking. Some people, you know, so the, I think all of these are major decisions that will determine if it's God's permissive will or if it's actually God's ideal you know I believe the more we follow God's plan the greater usefulness we can um, we can um, 
be in God's service. Any other questions? Getting hot here. No more questions? Everything's clear? Wow, that food's digesting really nice, isn't it? <laughs> Good. So let's have a prayer. Uh, at 3 o'clock, my wife will be sharing a little bit uh, with me on uh, um, country living. That's right. So if, if, if this is something that interests you, yeah, the food was good. <laughs> then I do encourage you to come. So let's, let's have a prayer. Our Father in heaven, Lord, it is true we are living in these last days. And there is truly an urgency. I pray that you may impress upon our hearts if these important uh, decisions to pursue relationships, or if we are in relation, married to have children, show us, Father, what we ought to do, how we are to live our lives. And Lord, help us to stop doing our own thing and then asking for your blessing. But from the beginning, ask, what is it you want us to do? Teach us to be able to go to the source, which is you, to go to the writings of Ellen White, to go to the Bible, to be able to discover the principles to guide our lives and speak to us through these principles. Help us not to make the lives of other people our rule of living, but speak to us. Help us to take the principles that we need and to move forward dependent fully upon you and your desire for us. Father, there's a lot of young people in this room that in a few years, some of them may be married should time last. And many of these will have children. I pray that they may make a decision now to be able to study, to be the best husband or wife, the best parents they can be, to be able to reflect your character in all things and to be enlarged in the, and to enlarge your kingdom. And I pray, O oh Lord, especially for these young people, if somehow they are tempted to get into certain relationships that is not after your likeness, give them the moral courage to be able to push away and to trust you, even though it may hurt, to trust you with this aspect of their lives. For thousands are now living in misery as a result of a lack of courage to make that decision. Father, we want to honor and to glorify you. Please, Lord, have mercy upon us and help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.